This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, welcoming you to the Draft Analyst Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm joined today by Tony Pauline, also of DraftAnalyst.com. And for the next half hour, we'll focus on all the news and events that will impact the NFL Draft from the past week. Tony, how you doing? I'm doing fine, especially whenever we start off with a little Led Zeppelin, and I'm really looking forward to this. It was a crazy weekend on the college football schedule, and as far as the NFL Draft is concerned, it's been a crazy week of news, so let's get this thing started. All right. Well, let's get going by reviewing some of the performances we saw this past weekend from prospects that we expect to go in the top 125 picks of next April's draft. It was a bit of a strange week in college football, several unbeaten teams going down, including Georgia's loss to conference foe LSU. I know you have some strong opinions on what you saw Saturday at Tiger Stadium, Tony. Yeah, I mean, Georgia really didn't just go down. They were dominated, and I was really impressed by what I saw with cornerback Reedy Williams. I mean, stats don't tell the story. He only had four tackles and one pass breakup. But, you know, when you looked at the eyes of Jake Jake Frome from Georgia, that told the story. Because whenever Frome would look Reedy Williams' way, he would throw the in the other direction because Williams was sticking like glue to his receiver. Uh, he's got great explosion. He's got great quickness. He's got outstanding ball skills. He does fall asleep on occasion, and uh, once in a while, he's a, a bit quick to leave his backpedal. But I was very impressed with Greedy Williams. Uh, I mean, he's ranked as our number one cornerback, and I think that justified his ranking. I've said all along, I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. And you had to like what you saw from Greedy Williams. I also like what I saw from the safety, John Battle. I thought he looked good. I'm a, I'm a fan of his. He showed good range, good instincts, finished with eight tackles and one interception, made a lot of positive plays on the ball. He's not the greatest athlete in the world, but I, I think in the end what's going to happen is Battle is not going to test well in pre-draft workouts. Rather, he's a very good football player. Yeah, I'd agree that Greedy was quite good. I mean, Fromm wasn't even looking Riley Ridley's way most of the game. The only completion that Greedy ended up allowing was on a perfect back shoulder throw that ended up going to Ridley on the sideline. You know, his combination of length and, and closing speed is is truly elite, and combined with all the skills you mentioned before, he has all the ingredients to be the first corner off the board and a legitimate top 10 pick next April. For me, battle was kind of a mixed bag. He got trucked by Elijah Holyfield several times early. I think it was three times on one drive, a stiff arm. He got run over. Um, he let receivers behind him on a couple plays. He bit on a flea flicker, was a bit over aggressive, allowed a wheel route to get behind him. Um, he got beat by Ridley on a corner post double move for a late touchdown. Game was out of hand at that point, but even still battle was, he was beat by a good seven to 10 yards. Um, you know, he did make some plays around the line of scrimmage, as you mentioned, when he was lined up in the box and he does have the range to play in center field. I just didn't see the coverage skills I wanted to, and he does have a tendency to be, be a bit over-aggressive. He might be best fit in the box, um, you know, playing in the middle of the field rather than a guy playing deep center, even though he does have that kind of range. Sticking with the SEC, we had a highly touted draft-eligible quarterback head to Tuscaloosa this weekend to face the vaunted Alabama defense in that star-studded defensive line of the Crimson Tide. What did you think of Drew Locke's performance for Missouri? You know, I, I think Locke showed why he's very difficult to scout. I mean, first of all, he was terribly outplayed by Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, who's on on the road to the Heisman. Unless, I mean, unless he implodes the second half of the season, I think Tagovailoa is going to run away with the with the, uh, with the Heisman. But getting back to Locke, I mean, just very frustrating. He, he threw a tremendous touchdown pass that only a few quarterbacks could make. I mean, he threw it in the corner of the end zone. 
as they said, he, he threw his receiver open. It was a long 30, 35-yard pass. It had speed. It was accuracy. It was right on the mark. And that's the kind of pass that a top-rated quarterback needs to make. But then he comes back. Uh, almost the next series, he looked confused when pressure. Uh, it, it was it was a bad uh, turnover. I believe it was a fumble, which Alabama converted into points. Uh, it, it, there's just too much inconsistency in Drew Locke's game. Physically, I mean, he grades out high in the areas of athleticism, arm strength, the ability to make all the passes, but there's just too much poor decision-making, too much lack of poise under pressure, too much uh, not securing the ball. You know, unlike the South Carolina and Georgia game when he did not complete 50% of his passes, he did complete 50% against the Crimson Tide, although it was right at the 50% mark. He had a touchdown pass, but he had two more interceptions. So I think all in all, as far as I'm con- concerned, Locke's downward spiral continues. Yeah, it wasn't really much of a matchup between these quarterbacks. I mean, you know, the only thing stopping Tua from a Heisman might be the injury that, you know, had him going back and forth in and out of the game and kept him on the sidelines at one point. You know, but moving back to Locke, since he's the draft eligible one here, it's it's really hard to disagree with any of that assessment that you just put forward. You know, Locke has yet to impress me against good competition. Um, you know, he didn't entering this game and he surely didn't leave this game, leaving me thinking that, you know, he's a top flight NFL prospect. Um, you know, he has the arm, as you said, to make any throw, but the key for him is he, he has to do it from a clean pocket. Um, you know, if, if he is given time to throw and he's behind an offensive line that's going to give him five to seven seconds, he's going to pick you apart. He has that kind of arm. He has that kind of ability to make any throw on the field. But at the same time, when you pressure him, um, you know, he's a statue in the pocket. He struggles to extend plays. When pressure comes up the middle on the inside, he drifts backwards. Um, you know, he's not escaping the pocket that way. So all he's doing is costing himself sack yardage, making his throws even longer and allowing defensive backs more time to react to throws, especially if he's throwing them down the field or to the sideline. Either way, that's not going to fly at the next level, no matter how impressive the arm is. So it, it was definitely a discouraging performance from Drew Locke. Now, another important conference matchup, which featured several top rated NFL prospects, and one of which you highlighted at draftanalyst.com last Friday was Wisconsin and Michigan. Now, I know you're very high on Wisconsin offensive tackle David Edwards and and gave their center, Tyler Bidaz, a second-round grade over the summer. What were your thoughts on the O-Lions' performance in this particular game? In a word, disappointing. I I mean, it was strange. Uh, Opening up the season, I thought Michigan would give Notre Dame a battle, and they didn't. They got got beaten badly. In this game, I thought Wisconsin would give uh, Michigan a, a battle, and they really didn't. But as far as the Badgers' offensive line, I mean, it was just disappointing in all areas. First of all, the seniors are falling in the eyes of NFL scouts. Michael Dieter came into the uh, came into the season with, graded as a fifth rounder by scouts. He's now a late round, sixth, seventh round guy. Ben Benchwashel has moved into his natural spot at guard. He was given a better grade than Dieter, more of a late fourth, early fifth round grade. He's also fallen a bit. He's fallen into the later rounds. Scouts have not been impressed with their play at all this year. I've been a big fan of David Edwards. Uh, I, I liked him during the summer. When I talked to people who were familiar with him, the area scouts, they said he had top 10 potential. I saw it in the 2017 film. Really, I didn't see it against Michigan. It was a disappointing performance. He looked stiff. He really didn't look athletic. 
I always thought he was a right tackle who had left tackle possibilities. I didn't see that against Michigan. He seemed to have, he seemed to struggle getting out off the edge, uh, against the Michigan speed rushers and their best pass rusher wasn't even there. I, I think it was a bit of a downer game for Edwards and even Biadaz. I mean, he looked dominant in the early part of the game, just blowing the Michigan lineman off the line of scrimmage, opening up, uh, big running lanes. But late in the game, he gave up a very bad sack, which resulted in a turnover and a score for Michigan. So overall, you know, the bottom line is this, is this was not the type of game that the Wisconsin offensive line was hoping for. And during my conversations with scouts and other people uh, since Sunday, they came away disappointed and, uh, you know, this is not what they hoped for. I mean, even without Rashawn Gary in that game, you know, Michigan absolutely dominated Wisconsin up front. Um, you know, you mentioned be it as, you know, looking good early. I thought as a whole, the Wisconsin line, when they were blocking for the run, they were decent early. They prevented backfield penetration and allowed Jonathan Taylor to use his vision, um, you know, and get some holes down the field. But they were getting pushed back into the pocket on passing plays. Um, you know, they really prevented Alex Hornybrook from getting into any sort of rhythm throwing the football. I think at one point he was three for 10 passing. And, and a lot of that was on the offensive line and their inability to keep the Michigan defenders out of the pocket. Um, even without Gary. I mean, Chase Winovich was the focal point of the Wisconsin OL in this game, and he did a nice job shedding blocks, getting into the backfield when he wasn't double teamed, at the very least taking attention that the offensive line needed to, you know, acquit to some of the other players on that defensive line, and, and they were getting pressure. If you flip the script and you watch the Michigan offense, that line was getting movement. They were pushing the Wisconsin defensive line two, three yards down the field. You really didn't see that with the Badgers offensive line and considering the hype around pretty much all five of those players as NFL prospects, it was a severely, severely disappointing performance. Now, the last game we'll touch on is Washington, Oregon, and specifically Ducks pass rusher Jalen Jelks. What did you see from him against a good offensive line, even one without its best offensive lineman in Trey Adams? Yeah, I was not really impressed with Jelks. I mean, he got a few pressures, but his pressures seemed to be coming, become after the fact. He finished the game with four tackles. He's a guy who has been getting a lot of first round buzz over the, over the summer in the scouting community. You know, despite the fact he was graded as a third rounder, I, I just don't see uh, the problem that I have with Jelks. And I've said this numerous times is I think he's an excellent football player. I think he's a real good college pass rusher, but I, while he may be a top 45 football player, he's a fourth round type of athlete. You know, he doesn't have the size for defensive end. He doesn't have the speed uh, to be an outside linebacker. Uh, right now, I grade him in that third round range. I, I think the first round, as many people have predicted him or projected him to go, is way too early. We'll have to see what happens. Does he go to the senior bowl? A lot of Oregon guys usually go to the senior bowl. So that'll be a, you know, that'll be a big test for him in those one on ones. And especially, you know, the pre draft testing. I'm sure he'll be invited to the combine, have his pro day. You know, is he a four A guy like scouts estimate or is he a guy who can run in the low four sevens, high four sixes? What's his height, weight? What's his body type? Uh, you know, he's a try hard guy. He's a smart guy. He's works to make plays. I, I just don't see a top 45 athlete in Jelks. And it's tough to win with the kind of athleticism that, you know, we're looking at Jelks and, and saying he's an average athlete. Well, he also has, as you mentioned, below average size. So it's it's tough to really see where he fits. Um, you know, a lot of his most effective reps in this game came when he was lined up inside against slower guards and centers where he was able to kind of get 
he was able to use that quickness and athleticism that he does have, you know, comparatively speaking to interior offensive linemen to get past. And also when he was lined up against tight ends, um, you know, he was able to hold his ground against tight ends, stretch run plays out to the outside, hold the edge and also get around them to the quarterback. But when he was lined up against Caleb McGarry, who, you know, over at draftanalyst.com, we have him as a second round prospect. He was decent against the run in the past against the tight ends, but McGarry was just too much for him. He, he couldn't get the edge either. McGarry would just ride him past the pocket um, as his quarterback stepped up. You know, Jake Browning did a good job of, of playing to what his offensive line was giving him and, and really neutralizing Jelks in this game, which, you know, wasn't very promising for his NFL prospect status here. And now we're going to move on to some news around the college football world, not relating to the games of last weekend. But earlier today, you know, big news out of Mississippi. You discussed DK Metcalf's injury on your weekly appearance on the Journey to the Draft podcast with Fran Duffy. Tony, what's the latest word out of Old Miss and their talented underclassmen? And, and if you can, just let us know what you told Fran about Metcalf and, and have there been any updates since? Yeah, there have been actually within the past couple of hours. You know, there's a lot of speculation as to what's happening with, D, uh, with uh, DK Metcalf. Uh, I'm told the best case scenario, or as I said with Fran during Journey Draft podcast, uh, the best case scenario they're hoping for it's a Mike Williams type of situation where Williams missed the 2015 season, came back strong in 2016, was an early pick in the 2017 uh, selection. But I'm told it could be a lot worse. Metcalf does have an insurance policy to guard against injury, a loss of value policy. You know, if that comes into play, that'll be something that's that'll be interesting to see. And I was told all along. Metcalf was planning on entering the draft, entering the 2019 draft. He had basically, there were people who believed he had his representation picked out. He knew he was going to have as an agent, and he was all set to go before this injury. Now, what is the latest? I heard literally earlier this afternoon that Metcalf will be seeing a specialist on the morning of Thursday, October 18th. That's this week. And his future path is basically going to be determined by the diagnosis of the specialist, I'm told that Metcalf and his family is preparing for all possibilities with the hopes of rehabilitation and the return to the field. But there's also the possibility that it could be much worse and there could be some very bad news. Again, he's supposed to go see the specialist on, on the morning of Thursday, October 18th. I'm sh and I, I hopefully we'll know more by week's end. Now, Tony, moving beyond Metcalf here, do we have any other news out of Oxford? A lot of other news. Uh, offensive tackle Greg Little's family is meeting with agents. Basically, that is a sign that he is going to enter the draft. There's, you know, a lot of players, what they do is they use intermediaries, parents, brothers, favorite uncles, or, or, or just confidants to basically get through the agent process during the season to whittle it down so when their year is done, they can basically make their choice. I'm, I'm told that Little's family is knee-deep into it which means that he's going to enter the draft, which really shouldn't surprise anybody because he's the highest rated, you know, uh, tackle on the board, uh, on boards. He's expected to be an early selection. Now, there are some who feel that Little may be better off at right tackle or guard at the next level rather than left tackle. I'm not one of them. I still, I firmly believe he's going to be an early selection at, uh, an early selection in the 2019 draft at left tackle. I'm also told that receiver A.J. Brown is going through the stages of selecting representation. And he's also expected to enter the draft. There's no surprise there. The big surprise, I'm told, could be defensive lineman Benito Jones. 
a favorite of mine who I graded as a potential second, third round pick during my summer preview. Now, Jones is not having the best of uh, seasons, but people I spoke with down in the Mississippi area who are familiar with the program and, and scout the team tell me they feel he's out of position at nose tackle in the old Miss system. Uh, even though it's not, he doesn't play a, a traditional zero technique tackle, uh, it, it, they just feel he's better off as a natural defensive tackle or a three technique player. Like Benito Jones, think he's going to be a second or third round choice. Good possibility he enters the draft. And once again, you can expect another large contingent of underclassmen from Old Miss to enter uh, the next year's draft. All right. Well, a lot, a lot of things going on at that Old Miss program here. We'll move along to the other big news of the week, which surrounds Nick Bosa of Ohio State, who was lost to a core muscle injury last month. Uh, you know, the recent update on him is that he's decided to leave the Buckeyes program to prepare for the NFL draft. Now, what are your thoughts on this? It's it's something we've seen before with players skipping bowl games, but this one is a little unprecedented, leaving the team in the early to middle portion of the season. What do you what do you see on this? Yeah, it's happened before. Uh, kid escapes my name. Uh, the defensive tackle from Oklahoma. Uh, did it about two years ago, but he wasn't drafted. You know, and, and Nick Bosa, we're talking about a guy that's going to be a very early pick. It, it, it's not surprising in the sense that, you know, it was an injury that was going to keep him out till the end of November. So when you really break it down, he may have been able to play against Michigan, may have been able to play in the Big Ten title game, likely would have been able to play in one of the playoff or final four games if Ohio State gets the invitation as expected and as well as the national championship game. Now, I, I think many are surprised to say that, you know, the guy has the opportunity to play for a national championship with his team. You know, why make the decision now? But, you know, he comes from a football family. There's a long lineage there. They know what they're doing. They've got excellent representation. So, I, I mean, taking the national championship uh, conversation out of the equation, I, I, I guess this really, this really shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, because this is the way it's going. And, and in the end, you know, Bose is going to end up as a top three player in the draft, possibly the first pick of the draft, especially if the New York Giants continue their losing ways. Yeah, and it's, it's really a tough situation to look at because there's going to be a lot of old school analysts who, who may not like Bose's decision. They may think he's quitting on the football team. They may think that, you know, he's not being a team player in this case. But to me, it's pretty obviously the right decision here, you know, based on his injury and obviously based on his draft stock, there's a lot of money at stake here. And the argument that his teammates would be upset with him to me is, is kind of crazy. You know, they all know what's at stake here. They would all do the same thing in his shoes. And you've seen the guys skipping bowl games in the past couple of years, their teammates have come out and supported them. So I expect nothing less when it comes to this Bosa situation. And, and in the end, he has to worry about his future. There've been too many recent examples of guys who, you know, haven't done that and, and it's cost them. And, you know, Bosa doesn't want to find himself in that situation. And I don't really blame him for making this decision. So now moving ahead and take a look ahead to week eight of the college football season. Now, Tony, I know you've got your eyes on a couple of the afternoon kickoff Saturday. We'll start with Clemson and NC State. What are you looking at in that matchup? And, and what are the key matchups for scouts to focus on here? You know, I, I've been a big fan of Tyler Jones of North Carolina State for the longest time. He plays left tackle. He's a little bit shorter. Scouts grade him as a late rounder. I've given him grades as early as the third, fourth round. Uh, played very well against Boston College. Didn't give up any sacks. And Boston College has a first-round lineman there. Uh, 
in the name of Zach Allen. They also have an, a, another linebacker who gets a lot of pressure up the field named, named Connor Strachan. And, you know, it's going to be a different type of game against Clemson because Clemson's got some of the probably has the best defensive line in the nation right there with Alabama. They got some of the best pass rushers. So watch North Carolina State's left tackle against some of those pass rushers that, that he's going to be facing against Clemson, primarily Cleland Ferrell. The, the fourth-year junior who I expect to enter the draft, I expect he's going to be a top 15 pick, if not a top 12 pick. Very athletic guy, can be an overpowering force, and that's where uh, Tyler Jones is going to have to watch out. The ability to get around the edge, can he knock Farrell from his angle of attack? Farrell is fast, he's quick, uh, he's very explosive. And then you have their other, uh, their, their other pass rusher, Austin Bryant, the senior who decided to come back to school. He was given a first-round grade. Probably as a guy who's going to go late first round, maybe early second round. Another natural pass rusher. Not as big or as athletic compared to, to Farrell, but still a guy that gets a lot of pressure up the field. So watch Tyler Jones of North Carolina State, their left tackle, uh, number 53, uh, against those top pass rushers of Clemson. Now, I know in the past you've talked about Tyler Jones and, and how you like him as a potential zone-blocking guard. If he really shows out in this game against the Clemson pass rush, is there any chance that you, you know, would kind of soften on that view and say, hey, you know, maybe he can stay a tackle even if it is a weak side situation? Or do you still prefer him as a guard at the next level? Well, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. I mean, I like my tackles to be taller, six four and a half, six five. You look at Isaiah Wynn last year. I mean, Isaiah Wynn was a guy who was barely six foot three, did a dominant job for Georgia at left tackle. Everyone thought he was a guard, and then the New England Patriots drafted him as a tackle. So I like him as a guard, but I could understand him being selected in the draft as a left tackle by a team who, you know, is not it really doesn't get hung up on a couple of inches for a left tackle, but rather, you know, looks at the film and likes the guy with the quick footwork, the guy that can slide laterally and do a great job in pass protection. All in the eye of the beholder, I think either way, it's going to be to, to the advantage of a team who drafts Tyler Jones. And now there is another prospect to watch on the NC State side here on the offensive side of the ball, second senior quarterback that we've mentioned in this podcast, and that's Ryan Finley. Uh, coming off his first multiple interception performance of the season against Boston College last week, you know, a statement game from him would really boost his stock, you know, it, right after Drew Locke, who we mentioned earlier, really failed to do so against Alabama. What do you see in Finley? What do you like about him? And, and do you think this is a matchup that, you know, he could possibly uh, boost his stock in? Or, or do you think he's kind of going to be overmatched? Well, I, I think the Clemson secondary has not played as well as I thought going into the year. Some of the guys have been banged up. They moved one of the players, uh, the safety Isaiah Simmons. He's almost like a linebacker type. You know, Finley is a smart, methodical quarterback. When I watched him on film, he's not a guy that can drive deep passes, although, as I reported over the summer, uh, people were very impressed with his arm strength when he went to the Peyton Manning passing camp. He's an accurate guy. When I say accurate, I'm not just talking statistical accuracy. I'm talking a guy that's really places his passes where only his receiver can make the reception. So, yeah, I, I mean, if he stays away from the mistakes, which he usually does, I mean, he does, he's not a guy who, who turns the ball over a lot. If he's able to stay away from mistakes and doesn't have to really, it doesn't have to win the game, but if he's able to move his offense down the field consistently, uh, withstand the pressure, which I'm sure there's going to be a lot of. You know, this is one of those games. This is probably going to be the, the the toughest game on his schedule. 
uh, of Finley. Uh, so it, it's definitely something that scouts will look back to as a statement game, or if he doesn't play well, it'll be a question during those combine interviews as, as to what happened against Clemson. And now we have another quarterback that uh, I know intrigues you in the in the three thirty slated games here, and that's Stephen Montez of Colorado. Uh, you know the Colorado's facing up, facing off against Washington at Husky Stadium. Montez versus that Washington defense, the Washington secondary versus Lavisca Chenault. If he plays right now, the receiver is uncertain with a toe injury. I'm not draft eligible, but a key player on that offense. What are you looking forward to about that game, and what are you really going to be watching closely? Yeah, Montez has got a rebound. He's a guy that I've been high on since the summer when I watched the film. I mean, he had all the physical attributes. He made a lot of passes that only a few quarterbacks are able to throw. And what I've seen from him through the early part of the season was consistent progress, ball security, proper decision-making, even against Nebraska. I mean, bringing the team back and throwing a late pass down the field for a touchdown to win the game. Now, he hit a bump in the road last week against USC. It was his worst game of the year. Completed just 55.3% of his passes, which is kind of funny because we're saying earlier in the podcast how Drew Locke had a good game by completing 50% of his passes. Completed 55.3% of his passes with one interception against USC, who beat him up pretty badly. I don't know that he's going to have the same pressure against Washington that he faced against USC, but that Washington secondary is incredible. Byron Murphy, cornerback, he's the fastest rising cornerback on draft boards. Redshirt sophomore, people think that if he enters the draft, even though he's a little bit shorter, uh, under six foot tall, he's going to be a first round pick. They got two dynamite safeties in Washington that's going to knock the head or that look to knock the head off of anybody that comes over in the middle of the field in Tyler Rapp and JoJo McIntosh. They have another senior uh, corner in Jordan Miller who has got great ball skills. Uh, when he's on his game and healthy, he's a, he's a terrific cornerback. A little bit behind the eight ball last this year because he suffered a terrible leg injury almost a year ago in October of 2018. A little bit slow to return. So last year, last week when Montez was facing facing pressure and, and had a difficult time of it, he's not going to. The pressure won't be as great this time. But the defensive secondary in in Washington is going to be loaded, and if he doesn't have his favorite target there, that's really going to increase uh, increase the challenge and make the challenge that much tougher. It'll be a good game. You know, it's a good challenge for Montez. You want to see your quarterback prospects go through this. You don't want to see them get beat up, but you want to see how they fare, you know, when there's pressure in their face. You want to see how they fare off of a bad game. Can they rebound, especially when they're going up against a talented backfield that the Huskies will will field on Saturday. Yeah, Pac-12 play has not been kind to Montez so far, so it'll be interesting to see if he can turn it around, especially without Chenault, if he does end up sitting. You know, if he can impress in that kind of situation, then that's going to be a nice boost to his stock. Staying in the Pac-12, we go right back to Jalen Jelks, who we discussed earlier. He's got a chance to bounce back this weekend against Washington State and Andre Dillard. What are you looking for in this matchup, and what do you want to see out of Jelks? Well, again, with Jelks, you know, can he rebound? He really, really didn't do too much against Washington. What can he do against Washington State? Now, Andre Dillard is a guy who's highly rated by scouts coming into the year. Great as a top 75 pick. I really was not a big fan of Dillard, but when I watched more of him earlier this year, I really liked his game. Fundamentally sound. Smart. Not a great athlete, but a guy that does a terrific job using blocking angles as well as body positioning to seal the edge. So as you mentioned before, you know, when Jelks went up against McGarry uh, of Washington, he was really stymied at the point of attack. I don't know that, that, that Dillard is probably not as stout at the point compared to McGarry, 
but he's a little bit more athletic and he's a little bit of a better pass protector. You know, can Jelks, can he do something to get off blocks? It, once he's tied up at the point, does he have the strength to get away from Dillard? Can he beat Dillard with an inside move or any sort of rip move or anything like that? Jelks, it really needs a, what I feel is a rebound game. Andre Dillard, you know, he's showing constant progress in his game. So this may just be another stepping stone for him. All right, and and that's all for this week's episode. But please make sure to head over to draftanalyst.com for all the latest NFL draft news. And don't forget to join us next week for another edition of the Draft Analysts on the Believe Podcast Network. For Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi, and we'll talk to you next week.